0: Uh, If you are new with us, I'm Pastor Josh, and I'm glad that you're here this morning and uh, have been able to be with us. Uh, We're in a series through the book of the Philippians, and uh, it's a letter that a man named Paul wrote to uh, the church in Philippi, or the people in Philippi. And uh, Philippi, if you know anything about it, it's it's kind of a, a coastal city in Europe. Paul was heading there on a missionary journey, and he was Kind of passing through, and um, as he gets there to this coastal city, basically, um, it's, a, it's a pretty impressive place. In fact, uh, you could kind of see it as maybe like a kind of a cultural setting or a culture, a culture setting city. Um, so it's a pretty important city. You could think maybe like in our terms, maybe like New York City or LA or Pendleton or Anderson. <laughs> You know, some, some a, a place like that, and as he's he's there, the Sabbath comes along, and he decides he's going to go for a walk on the Sabbath. And as he's out on this walk, and all of this, this is in Acts sixteen, by the way. It's kind of how the church gets up off the ground. As he's on this walk, he comes upon essentially was what was a, a women's Bible study or prayer group, and uh, this prayer group or this Bible study was primarily Jewish women, but Dispersed in between uh, these Jewish women would have been people that were considered God-fearers in the New Testament. Uh, god fears were people who believed in the one true God, and basically what they have done is that they left behind kind of the Roman gods and the Greek gods, the polytheism of the day that basically taught that if you please this God, and if you do this, and if you do that, um, good things will happen in your life, and so the god fears are the people who kind of stepped into what would be Judaism at this time and are searching after the God of the scriptures and this ancient God and one of the people that Paul stumbles upon while he is on this walk and in the midst of this women's Bible study that he obviously interrupts um, which I never recommend uh, but but Paul seems to interrupt these women and he he begins to kind of kind of fill in the lines of what they're studying and what they're doing and a a lady uh, kind of comes forward and her name is Lydia now what we know about Lydia is she is kind of a a fashion mogul maybe a fashion icon a fashionista uh, because we're told that she is a dealer in purple cloth now, that, not, not just anybody could be a dealer in purple cloth. Purple cloth was very rare because the way you made purple cloth is you had to basically harvest all of these snails that had purple dye in them, and you had to put it on the on the cloth to, to make the cloth. And so Lydia is the person who is over this operation from what we can tell. And uh, she, because she's over this operation, that means that she was probably pretty high up on the social stratus um, and the social ladder uh, because purple was the color that kings wore, that royalty wore, that senators wore, that people who could afford the novelty of purple cloth. And so you have Lydia here who is a type of person who would have been basically rubbing shoulders probably with royalty or senators or the who's who of their day. But we know that she probably had some things going on because not only does she have a house in Philippi where she currently is, but she also has a house in Thyatira. So she's got a house on the coast and she's got a house on the hills. And so as Paul is there and he's filling in the blanks to, to these women, Lydia comes forward and she becomes what uh, is the first Christian In Philippi and after becoming the first Christian in Philippi she invites Paul and his entire crew to her house right there and so what we have in Philippi the first Christian is basically a female who is a CEO uh, a, a multi-millionaire probably in today's terms and she's getting serious about Jesus and if that describes you you are welcome here The second girl or the second person that we're introduced to in Philippi in Acts 16 is basically somebody I would categorize as poor and possessed. Uh, In fact, she's only called a slave girl. Uh, This slave girl uh, is a slave to wicked men that are perpetuating a wicked business. Uh, She's possessed in the sense that she's able to kind of predict the future she's able to see things that she shouldn't see and and people are are coming to her and 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 just like a, a quick word like i hear kind of the the occult is kind of a i don't know a rising thing or more and more people are are getting interested in and in like witchcraft and de- demonic activity and just young people even as we think about coming off a of halloween and all that my kids dress up like i'm not anti like don't like go door to door to get candy dressed as cute things whatever but, like, it's, it's real. Like, there, there's, there's, there's spiritual forces of wickedness at work in the world, and, and she's possessed by this. But not only is she possessed by, by that, but she's possessed by these men who are making money off of her, and she's a slave, and so they're using her, um, and the fact that she's got this demonic activity in her life. And so we see this, and, and what happens is Paul is Paul's actually passing by her day by day. And I, I even kind of wonder, and, and Paul's not somebody who gets enamored with wealth or money or whatever, but I kind of wonder, like, is he just like, so into what Lydia is doing right now that she, he's just able to pass by this poor slave girl? Well, eventually the text said, says that, that Paul gets annoyed by her. Um, and, and sometimes when we see things that aren't right or that we know should be corrected, uh, God does something in us. And sometimes we just have this, like, we, we got to fix that and we get annoyed by things. Well, anyways, not only that, but Jesus promises that, that, that he has come to set the captives free. Uh, not just those who are, are physically enslaved, which is extremely true, but also those who are demonically oppressed or have spiritual bondage in their life. And so what Paul does is he walks up to the slave girl and he prays for her and he casts out this demon. And because he did that, the, the owners are really upset because he, he basically disrupted their ability to to make money in the local economy so paul now is thrown into prison which is where we meet the third person in the book of acts in this church and we're introduced to the jailer now the jailer is likely from a blue-collar family Uh, he eventually became a soldier who became a jailer we can assume this because Uh, These are kind of the roles that the Romans used for past soldiers, were to put him as a jailer. And so Paul is sitting in prison with this jailer who likely has been trained in violence, has a, a violent past, and is prone to violence. We can assume that he's still prone to violence because the magistrate told the jailer to hold Paul, and instead of just holding him, they put him and his buddy Silas in stocks. And so their their feet are in these stocks and they're basically being tortured in prison as they're being held. And what do Paul and Silas decide to do? Well, they decide to have a worship service. He had to be probably the the, the most annoying prisoner ever. So they're having this worship service and what happens is an earthquake takes place. And so the doors begin to bust open on these cells and things begin to break. And the guard, this jailer, decides that he's going to kill himself, and Paul and Silas yell out, Stop! We're still here, all of us. Now, the jailer had to be really confused by this. Like, what's, what's going on here? Why would they not flee? Well, Paul then explains why. He, he shares Jesus with the jailer, and what we're told is, The jailer and his entire household are saved. Now, what we have here as this church starts is we have a well-to-do woman, high society. We have a slave girl, probably no family, Uh, nothing to her name really. And we have this blue collar soldier former soldier who's now a jailer. You look at that story, and maybe you identify with one of those three. I think that's pretty cool. I look at this story and think, this is an awful way to start a church. (laughs) (laughs) Because let's be honest, right? each one of them are still human, even after they come to Jesus. It's going to be difficult for them to get along. Like, what does Lydia have in in common with the slave girl, besides their female? What does a soldier have in common with either one of them? Like, I can only imagine Lydia sharing her problems with the slave girl and the soldier and just being like, get over it. Right? Or them trying to figure out the jailer who probably still sometimes prone to rage. What do they do with that? while at the same time, in a very real way, this is what it looks like to belong to a church. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Philippians 2, chapter two, and I'm gonna read through verses one through 11 here, I'm gonna break this down. It says, so, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality of God with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of the servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen. So what is happening here is Paul is writing to the church, and he's telling them, like, you need to have the type of attitude that is going to stick together, that you're going to remain together. He says, complete my joy of being of the same mind, having the same love, being in a full of core of one mind. And he's telling them to, to be together, you're going to have to anchor your life in the life of Jesus and what you believe about him. And here's the cool thing about Paul, and as he, he writes the local church, he, he believes that they're able to do this. He, he believes that, that Christ dwells in them, that there's a particip- participation in the Spirit of God that they are able to have together if they anchor themselves in Jesus, if they anchor themselves in Jesus' identity, in the supremacy of Jesus. And so he tells them to have that one mind, uh, be in the same sphere, all of these sorts of things. But he he doesn't do so without then getting them, their minds, on Jesus and the costly nature of who Jesus says he is and what he's done. And so this is what he, he says uh, about Jesus here. He says that Jesus pre-existed before the world began. He says that he was in the very nature, a very form of God, and he had equality with God. So he lays it out that that Jesus himself is God, and that he came, came from the Father. There's the incarnation. He becomes then like you and I. And what he's trying to do here next is he's trying to show basically the humility of Jesus. God becoming man. And what he says is that he's been born into the likeness of men. Not only that, that he becomes a slave. I, 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 I think this ESV said servant, and others translate it servant, servant. but I, I've told you this. There's two words in the Greek, one for slave, one for servant, and the word that's used here is slave. And so not only does Jesus, the God of the universe, the God of the cosmos, come down, but he comes down, and not only does he identify with somebody like Lydia, who's rubbing shoulders with royalty, but he actually identifies with a slave girl, with the lowest of low those who possess low social status. Like, he comes after those who are possessed and troubled and used and violent. And yes, he loves the well-to-do as well. And then we're told that he's incredibly obedient, that, that Jesus obeys the Father so far that he's, he's willing to go to the cross I think about this like in our own terms and sometimes we're like man like I struggle to obey God just on a daily basis with simple things like if it's an inconvenience and Jesus' obedience takes them to the cross and so we're told therefore God has highly exalted him and have bestowed upon him the name that is above every name and so Jesus is Lord and King over all of creation that he possesses and then he says and at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And so there's this picture of Jesus sitting on his throne and there's a day that he's going to return and everybody's going to see the greatness and glory of Jesus. But before Jesus ever gets there, he takes a humble position. Uh, we know that Paul too is looking for the return of Jesus and he, he believes in the supremacy of Jesus. Because even before this before this passage over here, it says, do not be anxious about anything. There's, there's a short sentence that says this. It says, the Lord is at hand. And what that simply means is basically like twofold, that the Lord is present with us. We talk about this all the time, that the presence is the point. But that Jesus also, they believed that Jesus was going to return. Uh, they believed that, that Jesus was going to come back. And as he did, he was going to restore, he was going to redeem, he, he was going to remake everything that we see. And he was going to come be present with us in what we're currently trying to do, which is live out the kingdom of God. But our king is going to be present, and he's going to make it as it should be. And so these people believe that Jesus is the Lord of all the cosmos. The Lord of all the cosmos became a man. And Paul introduces or reminds them, by the way, of Jesus' humility here because he wants us to imitate it. He wants the church here to both imitate and emulate Jesus in this way. Now, the Philippian church, from what we can tell, is a pretty healthy church. Like, if you look at all Paul's letters, this is one of the kinder ones. Uh, it's one of the more encouraging <laughs> ones. Uh, but even that being the case, we, we know there are problems in the church. And there's always looming pro- problems. Uh, we see in chapter 1, that Paul is writing to them and some of them have actually problems with like some of the local preachers and teachers or, or maybe some of the preachers and teachers that they have heard about because Paul writes he says I know there are some who just preach Christ out of envy and rivalry like I, I know there, there are some dudes or there's some gals out there that you shouldn't trust is what Paul is saying but he's saying just because they're out there he's not he's saying like don't stop trusting Christ he's, he's saying even if Christ is proclaimed so I'm good with that right now. Be careful not to be basically the preacher police, is what he's saying. And that's hard to do. Like, I'm, I'm a skeptical person by nature. Like, I don't trust people very easily. And there's some people out there, I'm going like, yeah, I wouldn't go to their church. Um, so like, I, I, I get that. Paul also get, get, then gets to chapter four. And what he is, is he's writing to this particular church. And he's telling these two ladies, Eudio and Syntyche, he's saying, agree in the Lord. Right? Uh, agree in the lord they obviously can't get along i I think it's pretty not rare for people in or outside of the church not to be able to get along and he's he's calling them to unity he's asking them along with everybody else to have the same mind the same love be a full of cord do nothing out of rivalry and conceit because it's really easy to be divided like it's really easy to see the faults of others it's 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 really easy to, to see other people's sins other people's struggles what's really hard is to stay together. What's really hard is to be unified, especially over any period of time, especially now. And so Paul is writing to these people, to the church, he's writing about what it looks like to bring people together and what it looks like to unify people. And in this he is actually doing it and he's introducing his solution to unity or his desire for people to be unified and be together in a way that's extremely countercultural, in a way that would have been subversive to the way that the Romans would have told people to consolidate people. Because the Romans consolidated people and you got behind certain things through power, through force. If you wanted people to follow you, be the strongest in the room. If you wanted people to follow you, if you wanted to bring people under your leadership, conquer them. Make sure that they knew that might makes right. And what Paul is saying here is not God's house. That's not the way we do it in my church. Instead, he's saying that we have to have the same mind that Jesus has. And he's introducing unity. He's introducing togetherness through humility. He's saying that unity is always going to be achieved in Jesus' way through humility. In doing so, he shows how Jesus lays down his life for the Father. How he comes to the Father and he get, puts his, his life at Jesus' feet. And he's telling the church that if you're going to be together, if you're going to move forward, if you're going to be like Jesus, you have to surrender him yourselves to him as well jesus taught that we only gain our life when we lose it and so we see jesus's life as an example of what it looks like to count others as more significant than yourselves to look not only after your own interests but to the interest of others we see god doing that in jesus and when i think about the philippian church like i want to think this church started that way i want to think that lydia did her best to understand the slave girl. I want to think that the slave girl did her best to forgive the soldier that propped up the system that allowed her to remain a slave. Like she was able to forgive that. Uh, I want to believe that the soldier was able to care and protect these women. that They were able to lay down their lives and imitate jesus i don't i assume they did because the church got started now what about us now what about us um i think this is really difficult for us like and our current cultural situation and i, I think one of the things that makes it difficult for us is not just because kind of the, the, the the current of culture, but also even kind of what we've taught in our churches over the past 50 or so years. uh, is This idea of like basically the message of me, like the, the gospel of me. I think we've been taught like a really steady diet that we are the center of the universe, that we are supposed to live for and pursue kind of our hedonistic passions and pleasures No matter who it hurts or leaves behind like we've been taught that the the self is supreme and yet Paul warns about this in his church he actually said he says do nothing from rivalry or conceit the definition of conceit is self-importance like that's that's what it means and he says like this is this is not who we are it it's not that you're not important you are I mean, you, you, the, the idea that the image that you bear, the image of God is a is a, is a is a Christian idea that God came and he laid down his life and he he died for you. He, he loves you. But your supremacy is actually not what God is after. Here, he, he's telling you to give that up and give it to him, that Jesus supremacy, making him great. like that's that's where our life starts. Jesus' exaltation started with his humiliation, is what we see in the scriptures. In other words, Jesus made himself humble, so God exalted him. And what Jesus is asking here is like we, that we would live lives like that. That we would be able to make others more significant. So we're not only supposed to imitate him, if we take his words seriously, but we're supposed to deny ourselves. to take up our cross and follow jesus in all things and so i think for the church and in your lives what this means is that your relationships uh the, the church it, it it's going to be a little messy sometimes but like you can it can be hard it can be hard to learn to love people right that are different than you jason talked about that a little bit ago like not everybody's the same it can be hard to understand. People who have had different experiences. Right? The gospel of me, I think, is actually one of the reasons, like we we see an exit uh, in the local church. But I mean, we're seeing this because I, I've talked to you all about this before. I talk about this um, is that like you know, obviously, like churches aren't most churches like aren't killing it. Like they're not growing. They're exploding. Some are, and it's it's great. Like I praise praise God for that. But overall, if you look at the 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 numbers um, it's not and and there are a number of reasons for this and I think primarily like a lot of us gravitate gravitate towards um, maybe blaming leaders and I think there's a lot of blame to be laid at the leader's feet in our local churches and I think there's uh, a lot of blame maybe and I, I don't know I do this less that okay maybe we haven't done always church the right way in the past Um, but i'm always like i'm not sure we'll do it right in the future either so i want to be careful about how much i criticize the past but i often i i i primarily think that really one of the reasons that it's it's hard to do church and it's hard for people to be committed to anything because it's not just the church it's any organization anymore even organizations out the outside of the church is because we've been fed basically like a real steady message of the gospel of me like everything needs to be Uh, about me and we even in the church is like i i want the best thing for you i want you to have an abundant life Uh, and and jesus says hey we got to follow him to have that like i want that for you but the thing that a church is going to do and christ is going to do is he's not just going to tell you that he wants certain things for you because here's the thing you can't have those things that he wants for you unless you also say yes to the things that he wants from you and, and so in the context of the church, or any church, like they, they, should, they should want the best for you. But they're also going to ask something from you. And I'm just going to give you kind of two things that we're going to ask from you. My catalyst, and I think any church should ask of you, to be honest. Any church that's trying to follow Jesus. And the, the first is this, is they're going to ask you to belong. I mean, they're going to ask you to belong. But Paul is saying, is there any participation in the Spirit? He's telling them to be of full accord. And, and the gospel of me, the, the message of me, like it's created a belonging crisis. Like there's no doubt about that. We, and we all have a need to belong. Like we know this is a basic need. But if me is supreme, we doesn't exist. Like it, it can't. You always need to consider we along with me. And the we, by the way, like the church, always needs to consider the me. Like, you're important as an individual. I would never want to take advantage of you. Like, you matter. But we've done a disservice, I think, over the years of telling people, like, hey, you can be a Christian and not go to church. Like, I, I, I get the sentiment behind that. Like, being being a Christian is, is surrendering your life to Christ and following Christ and knowing that he has died for your sins and he's been raised from the dead and he's going to return to redeem the world and all of this... Uh, um, beliefs that we have that we place our faith in christ and like all that is is really good but unless like there are no other christians and like 100 miles of you this would have been like an oxymoron for the people in the first century for the people coming to know jesus the best way to put it would be like owning a bunch of real estate and being homeless like I'm i'm sure those people exist uh, but we'd be surprised by it, and, and Paul would have as well, and so would the early church. I, I think part of this is that this gospel about making us the center of everything has has taught us, and we've gotten to a place, and part of it is because they haven't served us very well, is because we've been taught to reject in- institutions or groups of people that ask anything of us. There's kind of a general attitude that all institutions all groups of people who are asking us to join are either restrictive or corrupt and like if that is you or you know somebody like that I, here's what I here's my answer to that it's yeah you're right you're right like the depravity is like it's in all of it like it's in every church every institution it's there but the, the Christian message, or the way that we understand the world is not only yes to that, but that it's also in you. Like, I also have issues. That there's, there's, there's some corruption in me that Christ is at work in redeeming. And so I feel like we either have, a lot of times we have like one of two stories, like groups of people and institutions are corrupt or individuals are corrupt. Well, the Christian story is like, all of there's there's problems in all of it at times. Jesus is put on the cross by the way. Like he's, he's sent he's sent by the to the cross because his own religious order the 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 Pharisees. Jesus essentially believed what the Pharisees believed they wanted him to go to the cross. Like the the, the organized religion of the day. The Romans are the ones who put him there. The government put him there. But not only that, the crowds asked for him to go there. When they had an opportunity to choose like the individuals when they had an opportunity to choose jesus or barabbas they chose jesus and so nobody is off the hook and so what happens in the first century is what you see is you see people forming churches because they're going to be the worshiping community that they they want to advance the kingdom of god they believe that god is at, at work among them and they want to trans they want to transform the world and they see the greatness and the glory of jesus and they're worshiping him and so they want this kingdom-shaped world, and they want to help mold the world into it. But not only that, I mean, it, it, it operates in a whole other way as well. The church was coming together to restrain and restrict, like, even their their own evil, like their own corruption, like their own hearts that aren't bent towards God. This, this is why you have these letters that Paul's writing to them, that they're trying to remind people of the goodness of, of god we have to be a part of something bigger than ourselves so we can orient ourselves to something that's greater and so that we can institute change that we think that needs to be changed so that we can be molded into the people that we need to be molded into and in the church and healthy institutions do that um uh, darren uh ace Moglu and james robertson set out in a book I find kind of interesting called Why Nations Fail. And they asked the question why some fall into poverty and chaos and why others are peaceful and prof- prosperous for the most part. And their answer after their research and, and time studying that question was threefold. Institutions, institutions, institutions. And I say that because, like, you know, so many of us are we're just growing skeptical of the institutional church or of the organized church. And one of the analogies I like to use is that you, you never really like want to walk into a, a hospital right? and hope that there's not a level of institutionalization there. Like, when you walk into a hospital, you hope they're ran well you hope they're organized, and you hope they're well-funded. Why? Because your health depends on it. Your health depends on it. And the same is true for the local church and for the church at large. But what the problem ends up being is not groups of people or institutions or organized religion. The problem is institutionalism. organizational ism in other words like it's when we begin to exist for ourselves it's when we begin to make us the most important thing and we forget about the mission when you begin to exist for yourself and you you then become actually corrupt you you get off mission you don't know what you're supposed to do I mean we are a community that have come together we want to love God. We want the presence of God to, to be the point when we're together. We have to learn to love love each other. To to actually right put the interests of others before ourselves. That's part of our mission. We want to make disciples. You want to teach people about Jesus? What it looks like to follow Jesus? What it says yet? What it looks like to say yes to Jesus? To be obedient to Jesus, even when it's hard. That's our goal. And so, as the church asks you to belong, I, I humbly ask, like, if you've been maybe attending this church for some time, or you're trying to figure it out, or at least consider. Because by the way, you can come as much as you want. Like, I'm never gonna, I'm not gonna kick you out of this place unless you're like harming people. Um, or just complete cancer. At that point, you might have. To, I'm just going to ask you to leave. But like seriously, if you're seeking Jesus, you're welcome here. You can come every Sunday, listen, try to figure out like, do I have any, want anything to do with it? That that's cool. But some of you, right? You're still trying to figure out like, should I actually like belong? Should I commit to local congregation? And I, I'm gonna I humbly ask you to do that. And here's what I promise you: is that this church will never look like you hope it will. Like, I mean, there, there are going to be some great things. You'll be like, that's awesome. And there'll be some other things like, man, I wish it could be better. Billy Graham used to say, when you walk into a church and if you find a perfect church, make sure you leave before you ruin it, right? <laughs> uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, German theologian, he used to warn the church of having a wish dream. And essentially, a wish dream is like this Christian utopia of community that you have in your head when you show up to the to a church like... Oh, it's going to be like this, and it's going to be awesome all the time and beautiful all the time. And there are times when, man, the church, I think, is the most beautiful thing in the world. But he, he warns us not to make the Christian community a utopia, but rather a group of imperfect individuals with their own flaws, struggles, and conflicts. He emphasized the importance of encountering Christ together, but not just, like, the the, the, the Christ that makes you feel, like, so good about yourself all the time or sees Like the beauty and other people all the time but a christ that allows you to see other people's real imperfections and still love them anyways it's only then when you actually learn to love people sacrificially like that's what selfless love looks like that's what sacrifice looks like that's what it means to bear one another's burdens And if you learn to do that in the context of the church, I mean, think about what that can do for your families. I I don't know about you, but i got some problems in my family. Some people are harder to love than others. If I can love strangers that God has brought together to advance his mission with, I can love my family. Second thing the church is going to ask of you here that Paul, I think, kind of points out is he's going to ask that we believe. He calls us the one mind, to have the same mind. And the message that I think we're hearing is often like follow your own thoughts in your own ways. It's going to teach you to trust yourself. A good church, uh, the church that Paul is writing here to, is they're going to ask you to trust in Jesus. I mean, like really trust in Jesus. Paul mentions no words. He says, at the feet of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And that was really offensive then. Uh, I mean, think about this. I mean, the Romans, right? How, how did you bring people together? How did you bond people? What were you going to worship? You're going to worship power and might. They're thinking, we just put that dude on the cross. We're going to bow at his feet? That's why Paul will write, like, that was, that was foolishness to them. I think it's similar today. Do, I mean, we are asking people right, to come to Jesus and telling them, like, we need to be transformed. We need to be molded into Jesus' likeness. You need to dethrone the self and put it at Jesus' feet, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that people come to the Father through him. That was kind of offensive then. And it is now as well. Like it's, it's, counter, it's a counter message. And I, I don't know about you, and I think you can do this for a short amount of time. Like you can, you can live for yourself and, and maybe get some satisfaction out of life. But I, I think what we're discovering is that the more that we think about ourselves, the more that we worship ourselves, the more miserable we are. Uh, there's, there's, there's kind of the, I, I mean, that, I, I think that's really kind of one of the things that's happening. We've made ourselves the center of everything. And it's actually made us more miserable. And Jesus is calling us to come and worship him and, and to bow at his feet. And he, we, we know he's good. We know he's humble, but we we know he loves us. Anything else you serve is not like that. Anyone else you serve is not like that. And so for those of you who follow Jesus, I'm just gonna remind you, it takes a lot of humility to follow Jesus. It takes a lot of humility to be together, to be the church, and I want us to cultivate that humility because it's the example of Jesus. For others of you, perhaps, you've never trusted in Jesus. You never bowed at the feet of Jesus, and He's calling you to do that now. I invite you to. He's good. He does love you, and He's going to return, and someday we're all going to bow at His feet, and we're going to worship Him, and we're going to thank Him. As I end here, I always want to remind us as we talk about the church, right? And I ask you to commit and to belong, and all those sorts of things. We never start by committing to a group of people, or even to a church or an institution. We're committing to a purpose, a person, and that person is Jesus, and He is the one who brings us together. I'm gonna pray. Um, I'm actually gonna pray through verses 3 through 11 here, if you bow your heads with me. Do nothing, we're told, from selfish ambition or conceit. So Father, we pray that you would help us to count others more significant than ourselves in humility. And humility is not necessarily, Father, of thinking less of ourselves, but often just thinking of ourselves less. So I pray that we would have this mind among ourselves, which we actually have in Christ Jesus, who humbly laid himself down at the the cross and gave his life up for us, and he's asking for ours. This Jesus, who was in the form of God, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Father, you tell us that you humble the proud and exalt the humble. So therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name so that, every, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. The glory of God the Father. May this not only be our belief, Father, this morning, but may this be our way of life. I pray for anybody who may have come and they want to follow Jesus for the first time. May they lay their lives and surrender them at your feet. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.